Chris Miles was able to retire twice by the time he was 39 years old. But he's not content to just enjoy his own financial freedom and peace of mind. Chris wants you to have your own ripple effect so you can live free today. He's not the financial advisor you expected. He's the anti-financial advisor you deserve. He's jumping behind the mic right now, ready to make waves. Here's Chris Miles. Hello, my fellow Ripplers. Welcome back to the Chris Miles Money Show, the Money Ripples podcast. Guys, so excited to be able to have back our special guest, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Now, uh, we just introduced him last time. Amazing, inspirational, best-selling author of, of several books. Also been on Fox News, Glenn Beck, has his own radio show, as well as been on TV and featured everywhere. And if you hadn't tuned in the last episode, I definitely recommend you do so because some of those principles he gave, those nuggets, Although someone might argue saying, well, where's the strategy? The truth is that was all of the strategy. (laughs) Those are absolutely practical advice because those principles are practical. If you make them a part of who you are, the strategies just naturally emanate and it becomes part of your being. And it becomes easily, easy to be able to create not just more money from the income side, but even to become a better investor, um, a better person in general. And so Rabbi, so glad to have you back again. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I so much enjoyed talking with you. You know, I'm sure you know this as well, but as you do interviews, I do interviews. Some interviews are absolutely grueling, Chris. I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly peering out of the corner of my eye at the clock. How much more of this torment is I going to have to endure? And And that's usually what happens when people are not master of the subject themselves. So and true. so uh, they'll sometimes say, well, your fourth chapter is entitled this. Could you talk about that? Um, <laughs> but uh, I was delighted to come back with you because it's fun chatting with you because you're as much a master of this topic as I am, and I'm learning from you as well. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to chat. Well, I've learned a lot even just from our, our first part of our interview. So I'm excited for the second part as well. You know, as I close out the last interview, I talked about there's a lot of noise, right? And uh, and and one of my friends, Alistair, he he would often talk about how information has to be surprise, otherwise it's not information, right? It has to be something that we don't already know. But the truth is, whenever you turn on the news channels, and you've been on those news channels, uh, it's usually just noise. It's usually just rehashing something, and it's a lot of speculation. There's not really a lot of real fundamental truth. They're just talking. What's your advice for people today, and especially with the way the media is going and there's a lot of polarization happening and everything else? And I would even say even specifically on the financial or the business side of things, uh, what's your advice for people that are seeing this happening around them in, in the world today? Chris, I think I know where you're heading, and I hope I'm right on this, but I can't think of a more significant feature of today's financial times than inflation. Mm. I would say if I had believed Treasury Secretary Yellen or um, Senator Elizabeth Warren or, for that matter, the President of the United States, when they all used that today humorous word transitory, inflation is only short term, it won't be with us for long. If I believed that, I wouldn't want to talk about it now because I don't know exactly when you're airing the show. And maybe you'll want to re-air it down the road. So I don't want to date it so as that people will listen. What? He's talking about inflation. I mean, that was years ago. We haven't seen that around. 
But unfortunately, I don't think it's transitory. And I think if you keep this show in the can for several months, you can still air it if we talk about inflation, because that's still going to be there. And uh, I mean, I know that you like creative real estate deals. And obviously, for people who can be guided into that kind of investment, I think that that is wonderful. At some time or another, I'd love to chat with you about crypto, because I think you may have delved more deeply into that than I have. But I would say this for everybody. Um, First of all, inflation, you have to know, is not caused by a war in Europe. And inflation is not caused by climate change in Australia, I promise you. And inflation is absolutely not caused by the uh, prime minister of Finland making a statement. Inflation is caused by only one thing. And, you know, you don't have to believe me. I mean, brilliant economists like Milton Friedman and many others. Mm. Inflation is caused by only one thing, and that is dishonest government. Now, how does that work and what's that about? Well, the key thing to relate to here, I believe, is that the printing of money, which is a symbolic representation of value, has to be in accordance with how much value has actually been created in the society serviced by that currency. What that means is that, uh, technically speaking, in the example, remember last time we spoke, I spoke about how I benefited by $20 when I bought a pair of shoes and how the store owner benefited by 10 And so the aggregate um, economic increase in the consolidated balance sheets of both entities uh, was the total of 20 plus 10 or $30. Yeah. Ideally, at that point, a, an inspector from the Treasury ought to have been standing behind me with his notebook, and he ought to have written down $30, and he then should telephone up to the, the Mint saying, guys, you can go ahead, print another, do, print a 20 and a 10. That's how it should work. If yeah. the guys there don't listen to him and they print three twenties, they are causing inflation because little by little, we're all going to realize that the money is worth a little bit less. A way to think about this is, you know, I wake up one morning, I open the door and I see a duffel bag on my doorstep. What's that doing there? And I see there's a label that says a gift to you from the White House. I open the duffel bag and I riffle through it, and to my astonishment, there are um, ten thousand hundred dollar bills in there, a million dollars. I'm so excited. I start thinking to myself, man, it's really time for me to get a new Series Seven BMW. I've been waiting for this, this. This is the time. This is great. And I think you know, before I rush off to the dealership, I got to call my friend Chris. I dial you up. And you answer the phone and I'm just about to say, Chris, you won't believe what happened to me this morning. Like, I don't know if it was a drug deal gone bad, but I, before I could get the words out of my mouth, you say to me, hey, you know what? I've got a million dollars arrived on my doorstep this morning. Well, 
I should be happy for you because now it's not just me. It's it, me and my friend. We both got a million dollars. But I say, listen, Chris, can I put you on a hold? I want to call my Aunt Agatha. I call my Aunt Agatha before I say a word like, hey, it's your favorite nephew here. She says, hey, would you like a present? I got a million dollars this morning from the White House. Mm-hmm. I come back to you and I say, Chris, I got bad news. It's not just you and me. If it was just you and me, I'd be delighted. But it's everyone in the country got it. Yeah. And both of us know the implication of that. And the implication is I say, well, um, you know what? I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'm still early enough. I'm going to run to the BMW dealership. I'll tell you later what happens. I run to the BMW dealership. It's like I've never seen it before. There are lines, people standing in line out of the door. And I get in line. I start asking, what's going on? And everyone says, oh, you know, we're here for the top of the line BMW. And a little while later, a guy with a clipboard comes down the line. He says, hi, I'm a salesman with the dealership. My boss sent me here to ask you, how much would you be willing to pay? We've only got 11 Series 7 there. How much would you like to pay? And I say, well, you know, I know that the price for the model I want is uh, $89,000. So, yeah, I'll give you $89,000. He says, that's not going to work. We've only got 11 of them. We've got about 70 people in this line who want one. So you're going to have to show how much you want it. And I'm pretty soon going to realize that the price of my Series 7 went up by exactly the same amount by which the government inflated the currency by handing out all that money. That's the only way inflation happens. And what we're looking at has nothing to do with the war in Ukraine. What we're looking at has absolutely nothing to do with um, uh, um, Saudi Arabia cutting back on oil production. No, this has to do with the printing of vast amount of currency, so much so that, you know, when you're in when you're spending other people's money, you can easily become intoxicated. Forty billion dollars sent to Ukraine. Now, I'm as sorry as the next guy for Ukrainians being killed, but I'm also sorry for the farmer in Kansas who's trying to make a living and whose money has now been devalued because the president decided to send $40 billion to farmers in Ukraine. That's called inflation. And yeah. um, in 1994, the uh, government at the time, Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, modified the method of calculating CPI, the cost of, of living index, the consumer price index, And uh, they did that in order to lower the annual increase given to Social Security recipients. That's evil, by the way. (laughs) That's downright evil. And they I'm not going to go into the math of how they did it, but, but you know it as well as I do. They modified it. If we used the same system of calculation now that we used in 1992, the inflation rate would be over 15%, not the 8.5% that the government acknowledges. That is a much more accurate figure, and it might be more than that as well. So uh, dealing with inflation, there's only one thing to do, and that is you've got to make more revenue. You've got to increase your income. Develop passive streams, open a side gig, open a hustle, do something else. You've got to increase your revenue by the amount of the inflation. Otherwise, you're losing ground. This way, If you increase it by that much, at least you'll hold your place 
on the downward escalator. But if you can do better than that, you'll even be able to climb up the downward moving escalator. That's true. Even those people that say, hey, I got a five, 5% raise this year, or even 10%, still don't Sorry. realize you didn't. You actually lost again this year yes. just because of what's been happening. And, yes. and you really just described as what was more, I think, what was more apparent to people in the last two years. But you're right. This has been happening even before 2020. Yes. This is way before. It just became it's also so- a, sneaky, a sneaky way of government to boost people into higher income tax levels brackets. Yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. That's why I tell people like deferring on an IRA, which could still work. Beautiful. Often if it's pushing people's inflation sky high, even just to live, you have to be in a higher tax bracket down the road. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. So obviously I think I agree with this. I actually just did a podcast on, uh, you know, really the best inflation hedge is to increase your skills, right? Increase the value you provide. That's right. To help yes. with that inflation hedge. Uh, what what other things should people be watching? People should be watching out for because, like you said, there's a lot of noise, like you said in the media about Ukraine and oil prices. But it it really came down to these fundamental principles you just said, which was we just watered down our orange juice to become. It might look like a bigger glass, but the nutrition is still a half glass versus a full glass of orange juice, right? Um, it, by the way, Chris, yes. Mm-hmm. By the way, in addition to what you've just said, we also have shrinkage on the grocery store shelf. And it's what used to be a 64 ounce bottle of orange juice is now a 50 ounce bottle of orange juice, same price as it used to be. And so they say, we're not raising our prices. No, we're just giving you less for the same amount of money. That's another aspect of inflation, which doesn't find its way into the CPI measure. Yeah. Well, going back to Jewish tradition, what was really the the way that, because obviously we know governments are artificially influencing this. Did you really ever see inflation before? If we were to go back, you know, hundreds of years, even thousands of yes. years, was that really yes, even a conversation? Very, the way they used to do it was in those days, you remember even Germany until Bismarck in the late 1800s was a, uh, a patchwork of many, many, many city states. Uh-huh. Uh, what happened is there were, there were several currencies. Some of them were over several regions. Some were just unique to one region. But what the ruler, the baron or the bishop of, of that region issued the currency, and it was, as it were, we might say today, it was his full faith and credit that backed that currency, and that was why people trusted it. One of the very early German reliable currencies that was issued and backed by a highly uh, integrity-filled leader, uh, they called it the Thaler, T-H-A-L-E-R, Thaler, and um uh, his name was Tal, and that is the origin of the word dollar as it comes down to us. So the the way they the bad guys used to do it was co- uh, coins were made out of gold and silver. And what they used to do is they used to trim off some of the gold around the edges. So they're giving the peasant face valued would appear for the produce they're buying from him, but the actual value has been diminished. They've debased the currency. They've inflated the currency. Yeah. Interesting. That's one of the reasons, by the way, to this very day, even though the metal we make coins out of today is valueless, we still mill the sides of the coins. We put those little vertical cuts to make it harder for the baron to trim the edges and take off some gold or silver. Yeah. Well, and, and I think if I were to derive, you know, point, kind of summarize this. And uh, again, we could talk for hours. I already know this. And here to mention Milton Friedman, which is uh, one of my heroes as well. 
uh, when it yeah. comes to econ- economics, you know, someone that most people haven't heard of today if they're a younger generation. But um, I mean, really, the thing you're saying is focus on things that have real value, right? Just like, you know, our skills and ability to create value is one, but even just assets that can hold and retain that value because regardless of what they do to the dollar, it still has a value that people will still have to exchange and, and pay for. Do we have time for one more strategy? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Well, this is very important in the present circumstances when uh, it may be that what you have to do, just as you said, Chris, fine, you've increased your skills, you've figured out a way to be more useful to your employer. Now, the tough part is you've got to persuade the employer. You've got to knock on the door, go into his office or her office, and and you've got to say, um, I need a raise. I want a raise. Now you've got to justify that. And, um, and here is a very important principle that, um, uh, that, that needs working on. Uh, it doesn't, again, it's not a trick. It's not as if I can tell people, here it is, so now tomorrow you go out and do it. It takes real work and, and real practice. And what, here's what I'm talking about. Um, have you noticed how everybody over the years always talks about how CEOs are overpaid? Uh-huh. Yes. But why don't they say that uh, NFL quarterbacks are overpaid? <laughs> some might. <laughs> some, some probably think that in general about sports figures, right? But not as much as CEOs. They don't say it as much. You know why? I think the answer is because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt mm-hmm. that if I was out on the field and I managed to catch the ball, I would not be able to do with it what he did. Yes. And so I look at him and I say, you know what? He, he can do something not everybody can do. That's right. Or if, uh, you know, if I see a, a movie star, ideally one that can actually act as well as look pretty, you know, I look and I say, look, I got a robust ego, but even me cannot persuade me that I'm that good looking. Mm-hmm. So I get it. He's exceptionally, or she, she's exceptionally delightful to look at. Or I look at the acting. I saw Robert De Niro do something a, a few nights ago. And I thought, I thought to myself at the time, this guy is totally plausible. He is who he's being. I couldn't do that. I don't care how much they pay him uh-huh. because he does something that only a few people can do. So true. But when it comes to the guy sitting in the penthouse suite in the big corporate building with a name on the roof. And um, we, fi- we find out his, how much he's making. Most mm-hmm. of us say, I mean, you know, he, he sits there, talks on the phone. He tells people what to do. I could do that. <sighs> and nobody understands what goes into business. Nobody understands that when Warren Buffett became the CEO of Solomon Brothers, when they were about to go down the tubes and take an awful lot of people with them in the 90s, Warren Buffett became the CEO in the very same afternoon. The Treasury rescinded its former ban on Treasury tradings for Salomon Brothers. Why? On what basis? Because this man, through the course of a lifetime, has built a reputation of savvy transactions and total integrity. And so the Treasury said, you know what? We don't like what the Salomon people were doing. They, they turned into a bunch of scam artists. But if Buffett is sitting in the top uh, CEO position, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll resume. 
the company is saved. Not everybody could have done that. It did take right. a Warren Buffett or somebody equivalent. And that's what people don't understand. And so right. the strategy I'm talking about is to deeply absorb and wrap yourself around the idea of the value that you bring to the table in business. Don't be like the last babysitter we hired. We came home, the dishes were washed, the kids were asleep, everything was fabulous. And um, I, I said to Annette, how much do we owe you? Do you know what she did, Chris? <laughs> um, I, if I was a Robert De Niro, I could act this out now so you'd, you'd, you'd laugh when I show it to you. But what mm -hmm. she did was her eyes sort of went down and she sort of looked at her feet and one of her toes started drawing pointless patterns on the carpet <sighs> and she went all bashful. She mm -hmm. couldn't tell me how much money to give her because she had been indoctrinated by the culture to believe that it was bad to take money from people. Right. And eventually I had to prod her and I had to say, listen, you know, we, we spoke about some numbers. Just tell me how much, you know, look at the time, how much, how much would you like? And she said to me, would $25 be okay? And I said to her, Annette, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't. And she said, oh, how about 20? I said, no, 25 isn't okay because we want to give you 40. And she looked up completely startled. And she said, why? I said, because the value you deliver to us, giving us a night out without any worries, and we come home to us, everything is good, that's worth 40 to us. And we want to be able to call you next time. And we want you to be able to say, hey, I'd love to come work for you again. So that's why we want to pay you 40. Yep. And it was a lesson to her as well. This is really very important. And don't forget, we've all been indoctrinated into this. I mean, talking about the corporate building, when the camera in the movie shot or the TV primetime drama pans in to the window, that top floor window, and we see this, this evil guy sitting behind a desk. It's always a guy. And mm -hmm. um, it turns out that his company has been ruining the environment and he's being confronted by this defiant young heroine who is uh, accusing him of what he's rightly been doing. And he opens the top right-hand drawer of his desk and he takes out, well, what all of us successful business professionals keep in the top right-hand drawer of our desk. And that's a 357 stainless steel revolver. And he's just about to shoot the heroine when the uh, United States Marines come through the door and the credits begin to roll and everything is good. We all know the businessman is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, uh, some friends of mine did a survey of primetime television and discovered the overwhelming majority of murders on primetime television are committed by business professionals, not yep. thugs, not hoodlums not drug dealers, business professionals, no yep. relationship to reality at all, but everybody is willing to see the business guy as the evil guy. Right. And uh, how often do we hear people saying, oh, he's just doing it for the money. I love mm -hmm. when people are doing it for the money because I don't have to start figuring out what the ulterior motive really is. <laughs> True. And so, we have to recognize that we've all been conditioned to feel 
that making money is not a noble and moral activity. You got to get yourself over that. Otherwise you will never be able to sell your value effectively. 100% agree. Well, Rabbi Lappin, this has been a wonderful interview again. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I guarantee we're going to have to have you back on for another show at some point. I look point. forward to that, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah, love our discussions. This is exactly what people need. Is it really does come down to these real core principles that allow us to take action accordingly. And uh, it's you're right. That perspective, when it's off, that's why we make bad mistakes. That's why we do things that actually are counterproductive to our wealth yeah. and our money. So, yeah, uh, right. Again, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's um, a pleasure. And I thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure being with you. Absolutely. Everybody else, uh, thank you for joining us today. Remember, it's not just about being a hearer of this word. It's about being a doer as well. Really take this, internalize it. Understand that these principles are the meat and potatoes that really allow you to feast on this good wealth. So again, take this, know that uh, we'll have all this contact information in our blog post that we do on this. But again, everybody, as always, I want to wish you a wonderful and prosperous week. We'll see you later. Visit us online at moneyripples.com for more resources to help you fix money leaks and get your money working harder for you now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.